The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful Burbank, California, which is, let me check the temperature. Oh, it's maybe finally below 100. Hey, this is the Knapsack Files we're recording here. In September of 2020, what a year it has been, yes. And uh, last week, I want to thank anyone uh, who listened to episode 204 of the main show, which was an interview with actor Scott Antonucci, which was uh, an interview literally years in the making. We were joking about it. It took about seven years for our schedules to finally clear up or me to be actually doing a podcast while he was ready to talk about something, and, and we finally got it done. It was a great interview about his foray into uh, YouTube and lessons to be learned from that. So I say that because this week I'd say this is an interview that is equally as long in the making, years in the making when it was first talked about, but also um, years in the making because when I met this guy about 10 years ago, I had heard stories, I didn't know him, and we've been friends, we've been rivals, we've been, uh, I find him inspiring, I find him to be interesting, and above all, unique, and I'm happy to welcome him and his story to the Knapsack Files. Please welcome J.R. Roberts. I might occasionally call him Hell Kid, but we'll explain that later. J.R., welcome to the Knapsack Files. Uh, thank you, Ken. It's an honor and a privilege, buddy. Hey, uh, no, my, the honor's on this end, because I think we're going to get to some great stuff here, and uh, we'll start from the origin story. You and I uh, worked, met through uh, our, our mutual friend that we sometimes joke he's, uh, you know, he's our brother, he's our best friend, and often we are the angel and the devil on the shoulders. I don't know which one is which, though. Occasionally, I'm the devil and you're the angel, it's, and vice versa. It's how that works, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and I uh, managed you for a time in pro wrestling. Uh, you uh, feuded against us, feuded with us. A lot of fun, but we're not here to have a conversation just about the wild world of independent pro wrestling and pro wrestling at large. We're here to talk about JR's story. And JR, uh, I'll start with what you're doing right now. You have a website and a program uh, that that's called uh, fourpointplan.com, fourpointplan.com. It is a design to battle drug addiction, uh, drug addiction, excuse me. And you are now a certified drug and alcohol counselor in Los Angeles, California. You got a BA in psychology. Uh, you've been working really hard getting your master's degree over in Pepperdine and, Mar and marriage and family therapy. You serve, got a lot going on. And more importantly, you've got a lot of real world experiences that I think people need to hear. So talk to me, brother. What, what, how's it going right now? And, and, and let's dive into the four point plan bit. Uh, things are awesome right now. School is kicking off. My first class of this semester begins tomorrow, tomorrow evening. So uh, mm. I am in practicum, which means I'm working an extra 15 hours a week. I'm still going to school full-time, and I still work full-time at Tarzana Treatment Center here in Los Angeles, one of the biggest and best treatment centers, I believe, in, in the world. So mm. uh, I'm right in the heart of everything. I work as an outpatient counselor. I teach uh, people about the four-point plan, and uh, and I'll tell you how the four-point plan came about. Um, yeah. I was uh, really struggling with drug addiction for, what was it, the 90s, the early 2000s? I mean, yeah. I had a harsh struggle, and things looked rather bleak. We did not expect JR to come out of this alive. And mm. so I, uh, I was going to try to get help. I went to treatment seven times. And seven times I went to treatment, and seven times I left and relapsed. And I, I could not stop using. And 
uh, I think I, that you've heard the story, but I'll tell a little bit about it because it's, it's rather horrific. Uh, in the depths of my addiction, um, mm. I was injecting heroin and cocaine on a daily basis, and it got so bad that I developed a uh, skin infection on both mm. my arms. And skin infection, I went to the doctor. They, they diagnosed it as MRSA, which is a medically resistant form of staph infection which means that they cannot give you medication to cure it. They, uh, they can't hook you up to IVs. They can't give you pills. There's, there's no uh, pharmaceutical way to mm. cure MRSA. Mm. So in order to fix it, they had to send me someplace special. I tell this story a lot, so I'll go into detail about it. Uh, the first doctor that I went to and I showed her the infection on my arms, they were horrific. It was um, – Mm. It was uh, what they call necrotic tissue. I was the walking dead. I was actually a wow. zombie because I had this dead flesh growing on my arms. Wow. I went to this first doctor, and she had been a Kuwait war doctor. She had seen wounds in war. And wow. she looked at my arms, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, I'm sorry, but I think we're going to have to amputate your arms. And I said, but I'm using them. <laughs> That's how I get high. Right. And so I literally ran from her office because I was afraid someone was going to walk through the door with a, with a table saw sure. and take my arms right there. So I was horrified. Yeah. So I, I go to another doctor and another doctor. I actually went to five doctors and four of the doctors said amputation. And one of the doctors said, stop using heroin. And I hadn't received any options I could work with yet. Mm. So I had to um, go to my Suboxone doctor. When you're a heroin addict, you have a Suboxone doctor because yeah. you always have to have drugs coming from different sources. Sure. So I my Suboxone doctor, and he said, we can save your arms, but we're going to have to send you to a place called the Wound Care Therapy Clinic. So mm -hmm. I went to the Wound Care Therapy Clinic where it was like a regular physical therapy clinic where someone breaks their hip, they learn to walk again. Mm. I would go there at seven in the morning. I was the special patient, right? right? And they would take me in and they would fill up this this whirlpool full of hot water and they'd dip my arm in it and let it sit there for a half hour. Then they would pull it out, put mm. the other arm in, and lay the first arm onto a surgical table where they would take a scalpel and slowly over the next half hour take a scalpel and cut out the necrotic tissue, the, the gangrene, the infection. And when they were finished, they went and they did the other arm the same way. Mm. And when they finally wrapped it all up, they, they lathered my arms up in Neosporin and they applied these big-ass bandages. Right. So I would leave the wound care therapy clinic with these big-ass bandages on my arm. I would drive home. I would immediately take off the big bandages and inject heroin and cocaine into the open wound. Yeah. I could not stop using it was as horrific as, as it sounds, uh, something to see that you would never want to see. Uh, it smelled terrible. I had a constant uh, fever because the infection was in my blood at that point. So I, I was always feverish and always sick. And I didn't think I was ever going to get better. Right. And then... Jerry, there at that point, when you're saying you feel you, you're never going to get better, it, it, it how... Is it's overwhelming from every angle, then, right? You just is it hopelessness, addiction, all those things that I, you know, that might be foreign concepts to other people, and and we definitely know it's not easy. But in that moment, where you you're unwrapping the bandages to use, what is in your your brain at that second? 
in that second is I am in so much pain, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, that mm. the only thing I know that can numb this, the only anesthetic I have found that works is a cocktail of heroin and cocaine that gotcha. just leaves me zapped out for yeah. eight to 24 hours at a time. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So this is where I had to get clean, man. And, and it's funny because you, you said that not everybody understands addiction. I was unfortunate enough to kind of be born into it, right? Uh, my parents were both criminals. Uh, they have both escaped from prison in their lives, and they have both been on the FBI's most wanted list. So mm. when I was born, I was kind of born into this weird, violent criminal world. And I grew up around people that did hardcore drugs, and, and I, I witnessed incredibly violent acts as a, as a young child. And mm. when I transitioned into using drugs myself, it wasn't foreign to me. Uh, mm. Fortunately, you'll love this, uh, yeah. I was um, intervened upon when I was about 14 years old. I'd probably smoked weed a few times, gotten drunk a few times, but right. – the teachers at my school knew that I had like a weird home life. And so they stepped in to help and right. they sent me to the just say no program. I don't know if you remember the just say no program. I remember the bumper stickers. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the, I was part of the original just say no program in the mid eighties. Okay. And I got really involved in a, another program where I became a, a youth mentor and a counselor teaching young kids not to do drugs. Okay. And, one time we took a visit to Washington, D.C., where we were participating in a conference and we were also speaking. I was uh, kind of already an accomplished speaker at the time, and they had me going out on stage in front of crowds of parents and telling my story and trying to help them to help children say no to drugs. I During that visit, I got to meet Nancy Reagan, which was really neat. She looked like E.T., she had a really big face and really small hands and arms. And I was scheduled to go and speak mm. to a huge, huge audience. Okay. And I was with this these two guys, uh, Kevin Wanzer, Bobby Hurd. Mm. Kevin, Bobby, and I were all kind of speaking all over this conference. And there was like a, a lot of uh, excitement around the three of us. And we were all together and we were approached by the Secret Service. And these guys invited us to the White House for a meeting. Wow. And I was not allowed to go. This is like where resentment was born in my 15-year-old my mind. I wasn't allowed to go because I had to speak. But Bobby and Kevin were allowed to go. And they did. And they went and met with the president and the first lady. And from that meeting was born the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. Wow. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Yeah, they had these cool commercials like this is an egg, this is an egg on drugs. Yep. There was a really good commercial later, a couple of years later, that was a girl in an apartment and she had the frying pan, she had the egg, and she said, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. And then she goes, and this is your brain on heroin, and this is your family, and this is your friends, this is all the things you're destroying. She takes this frying pan and she starts destroying this entire apartment. And I remember thinking that girl was so hot. <laughs> I believe that was Rachel Lee Cook, the, the actor. Uh, I believe it was Rachel Lee Cook. That was her first big gig, I, I, if I remember. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So you remember that commercial? I totally uh, do. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's why I became addicted to heroin, but I'm saying right. it could. Hmm. 
<laughs> starting point. So, so this is 15 and it goes from there. And, and, and along the way is, is, you know, that's the one thing, uh, you know, with what you talk about, it's like, it, it, there's gotta be part of your brain that knows you're not doing good stuff, right? That, you know, you're not making the good choices, but you feel it's the only choice you have that that's where, uh, I love to explore that because I think that's powerful and that's what pe- people maybe don't understand too. Well, coming from the family that I came from, oddly enough, I felt like I had a curse or a destiny that I was going to end up in a bad place. Wow. Uh, I'd grown up in this. I had a brother and sister who were both drug addicts. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, I lost my brother who was 27 to a intravenous cocaine overdose. And it was horrific, and I was angry at everybody, and I thought drugs were the worst thing ever, and I was never going to do hardcore drugs. And it was an important but scary, terrible moment in my life, and it it impacted me for a long time. Right. Now, then uh, I came to California. So all, all I've told you so far, I grew up in Ohio. I came to California when I was 20. Uh, I wanted to become famous. and. Sure. I totally succeeded because look at me. I've got my fake on t-shirts everywhere. You do get those Helka t-shirts today. <laughs> uh, but I came out here to be famous and I didn't, I didn't really strike gold. Like I thought maybe I would, but I never anticipated where I would end up. And that was, um, mm. out, homeless, sleeping on the streets. Things were bad. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, I was, uh, I had uh, ended up in Santa Monica sleeping outside of this bank. And one day I see this girl, man, and she's she's homeless and she's crying in the rain and she has a pet rat on her shoulder. And I remember thinking, that's the kind of girl that might go out with me. <laughs> yes. So I asked her out. I took her to the Cheesecake Factory and uh, she brought the rat. And so the rat was like on her shoulder and we were eating a little the bread from the cheesecake factory, feeding it to the rat. It's very cool. And that's when she looked across the table at me and she said, you know, I'm a a heroin addict. I said, no, no, I I don't believe that. And she said, no, it's true. If I don't do heroin every day, I get violently ill. And I thought about it for a second with all my experience with my family. And I thought, well, if anyone is qualified to be Captain Savaho, to be the superhero to swoop in here and save this poor girl from her heroin addiction, it's got to be me. Right. Now, for all the people that are listening out there, I've got a very important lesson to teach you right now. I wish that someone had told me this secret long ago, okay. but they did not. I had to learn on my own. If you start dating a heroin addict, you don't get her clean. You become a heroin addict. Right. Right. That was it, man. I, oddly enough, it ties into wrestling. And I don't know if you've heard this part of the story, Ken, but I, I went... I remember parts of it, so I definitely our audience hasn't. I really, I really do want uh, you to share that. I went to wrestle a match. It was my first year in wrestling, and I was, I was good enough. I was kind of small, but I was tougher than nails, and I thought I could take anything. So I go to wrestle this like full size wrestler, this big dude named Craze. Oh yeah! In our match, he power bombed me through a table in the ring. Right. But that wasn't enough. We also set up a table outside the ring on the floor. And so he took me from the edge of the ring and through the air, we went down and he pile drive me through the table on the floor. Right. And from that pile drive, from that match, I ended up with a separated shoulder. Mm. 
And so I'm with the heroin addict girlfriend. I'm, I got a separated shoulder. And her and I are living in a broken down camper on the side of the road in Santa Monica. Mm. We get back there that night and I am hurting, beat up. And she looked at me and I looked at her and she said, this will take away the pain. And mm. she gave me a needle full of heroin. Right. And from that first one, man, that was in 2001. From that first one, I was hooked right away. Like I knew. And so that destiny, that curse that I was afraid of my whole life, that I was going to end up like my brother and my sister and my mom, um, it it came full circle. I had finally reached my destiny and had become a junkie. And in that, I think that everyone figured that was the end of the story. I know I did, man. I figured I would Mm -hmm. never wrestle again. Uh, My dreams were all gone. I was never going to accomplish anything in my life. I was going to be homeless, strung out, and this would be the final chapter of my story. Yeah. And for about seven years, man, it was like that. It was, it just kept getting worse and worse. We talk about the disease of addiction being a progressive disease. And so things just keep getting worse. You keep doing things you swear you would never do. Uh, everything mm-hmm. just becomes consequential and evil and horrible. You have no idea how to support yourself, how to pay bills, how to, how to feed yourself. I remember that girl teaching me early on, this is your food now. Mm. You don't eat food anymore. You eat heroin. This is, I mean, it's not a literal thing. You still eat food, but if it's one ninety-nine cent hamburger a day, that's more than enough to, to keep okay. going and keep doing heroin. Uh, one of the funnier things that I've heard said about addiction is my only goal in life was $20. And that was, that was very true for me. Wow, just twenty dollars a day, a sandwich and a and and a hit. Is that is that is that what you're saying? No, the twenty dollars was the hit. If there I get up on an extra dollar, there'd be a sandwich. There you go, sandwich is bonus. Wow, yeah. And when you and when you say, look, I took that first hit, and I knew uh, this 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 legacy that this shadow of I won't even say legacy, even joking, but like this shadow that hung over to you just it, it was more like just this emotional confirmation of yeah i always knew i'd be in this spot and then it just becomes overwhelming from there is that what you is that what you kind of mean when you say you knew yeah that's exactly what i mean it mm-hmm. my whole life man i would i came from addicts uh, i was surrounded by addicts i even had that that part of my life and junior high and high school where I was part of the Justin No program where mm-hmm. people that were in positions to try to help me tried to help me not end up, not follow this destiny to where it it might be considered inevitable. And right. so I thought when it happened, oh, we knew this was going to happen. This was mm-hmm. about to happen. Mm. Yeah. The fall's complete. I'm here. And then, like you said, plus you're young and just – I think when you're young anyways, you just, even if things are going okay, you, 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 you don't, the future is cloudy. And, and if you lose your job, you feel that's the end of the world or you lose a relationship, you feel that's the end of the world. And that's natural under the best of circumstances. Now you throw this on top of it. Yeah. I can, I can see what you mean about this is what you felt. This is where you were at and and, and it couldn't get better. So then we jump forward to a point where I've been to rehab countless times. Sure. I've been kicked out of everything. And now I've got this disease growing on my arms, mm. that is most likely going to cause them to be amputated. Now, some of the things I enjoy doing in life, like professional wrestling and riding motorcycles, requires you to have arms, have yeah. two arms even. And mm. 
I was on the verge of losing my arms. And I thought, man, this is the, the foregone conclusion. This is the destiny or the curse. Uh, I'm going to be an armless junkie, probably homeless and dying in a gutter somewhere. It's mm-hmm. never going to get any better for me. And right. I attended 12 sub meetings. I went to AA. I went to NA. Uh, I went to meetings and I went to meetings pretty regularly because even though I was still using drugs, I figured that the only people that might possibly be able to help me would be the people in those rooms. Right. And man, they had to have gotten sick of me because for years I was regularly attending meetings high out of my mind on heroin. And mm. if you've ever seen a heroin addict, they, they have uh, behaviors that kind of shine out and attract your attention like they will nod out. Their eyes will keep closing. Their head will keep falling. Um, for me, it was more extreme. I would get high right before the meeting. So I'd go in and I'd be sweating and mm. I'd be itching. And uh, I remember one time I was sitting at a table at a a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and I stood up and I looked at the table and there was blood on the table because my arms were still bleeding from where I shot up right before I walked in. So they knew me. They saw me and they knew me. And I had been going there for a long time. But we, we reached this point in 2008 where... My arms are super infected and they are in a lot of pain all the time. The fever is with me all the time. It looks like I may die using. And it would be a horrible shame if that happened, but it seemed pretty definite that it was going to happen. But I knew that in the in the meetings that they talked about certain things. And one of the things that they talked about was getting a sponsor. Now, I had been going to this men's meeting in Canoga Park for a couple of years and uh, I was sitting there one time, and I heard this guy tell a story. Now, most of the guys at the meeting would tell stories about their dog or their car or their golf game, and I'd get pissed off. I would cuss them out. I would I would raise my hand at quarter to eight. It's, the meeting was over at eight. I'd raise my hand at quarter to eight, and I would say, hey, I've been listening to you guys bitch about your car and your dog, and my heroin dealer stops working at eight o'clock. I've got 15 minutes to go and call him. Nothing you guys have said has helped me. So fuck you. I'm going to go shoot heroin. And I would walk out of the room. So I say this stuff at an NA meeting. So I'm there at this one meeting and I hear this guy and he's sharing something different, man. He shares this story about how him and his wife had split up because he was trying to get clean. And so he went to stay at his mom's house and he was dope sick. Mm. And, she calls him up and said, hey, uh, you don't want your credit to get fucked up. I've got the bills that came. Do you want me to drop them by the, your mom's house? And he said, yeah, please do. She said, well, you must be pretty sick. Mm. He said, yes, I am. And she said, well, do you want me to bring you a couple balloons? And mm. he said, yes, I do. And mm. so she comes and goes, and he has some balloons of heroin, and he's super dope sick. He goes into the bathroom. He draws a hot bath. And he takes the spoon and he puts the heroin in the spoon. But rather than put it in the syringe and use it, he decides he's too shaky and sick and he needs to relax a little bit. So he lays in the bathtub to try to relax so that he can be calm enough to shoot the heroin. Mm. He's laying in the bathtub and the door opens. His mother walks in, sees the spoon of heroin, dumps it into the toilet and flushes the toilet all while he's sitting there looking at her. Wow. He freaks out, grabs his mom by her head, and sticks her head under the bathwater. Wow. 
as if he were going to kill her. Mm. He came to his senses and he started praying to God in that moment, please, God, don't let me be this addict anymore. But I heard him tell this story and I said, hey, that's that's the guy. That's the guy that I need to ask to sponsor me because that guy understands. He understands real, hardcore, true desperation of being addicted to heroin. Mm. So I walked up to him. This is uh, in 2007. I walk up to him and I said, hey, man, uh, would you consider sponsoring me? And he said, sure. I said, fantastic. Listen, I'm not done shooting heroin yet, but when I am, I'll come back. So we rolled forward to June 24, 2008. And I go to that same meeting where I've been cussing those people out, the one that's right by my house. And it's a a men's only meeting. And and that guy was there. And I, I prayed to God that night. And, and I'm not the most uh, religious fellow you've ever met, but you know, in, in times of desperation, uh, I get the G-O-D, the gift of desperation. Gotcha. I prayed that night and I said, please, God, let me hear something today, anything that could help me stop using. Because I'm at the end of my rope, man. They're going to cut my arms off. I'm always sick. I'm always in pain. My arms are always seeping blood and goo and smell bad. I mean, I was a zombie, like figuratively and literally, I was a zombie. Literally, yeah. (laughs) So I I said this prayer, man, and I saw that guy, Bob, at the end of the meeting, I walked up to him. I said, hey, man, do you remember me? He looked me in the eye. He said, yes, I remember you, man. I've been praying for you by name. Mm. I talked to my sponsor about you. I told my sponsor, if I could cut myself open and give you recovery, I would. Mm. Yeah. It's like, well, that's weird. I just want to know if you remembered me. (laughs) He said, yes, man, I will sponsor you. I want you to call me every single day. And I started calling him every single day, and that was cool. Now, at that same meeting, uh, they always ask, is there any volunteers to help clean up, like, the the smoking area? Sure. So I smoked back then, and so I raised my hand. I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll go hang out with the cool kids. And so I went out there. And I met some people and I got some phone numbers. Okay. And at the end of that meeting, man, I went home and I did not use. I was I was getting dope sick. I was feeling the withdrawal symptoms, but I did not call a dealer. I did not like scrape anything out of the bottom of the, the mm. closet or anything. Like in that that evening, I didn't use for the first time ever since I had begun when I got dope sick. And you and you and, and you felt that you knew that in that moment. You did you have a realization like, oh, I'm not using, or did you just kind of uh, an hour later, two hour, day later, wow, I didn't use. How did it hit you? It was just, please God, let me just make it through today. Gotcha. We always say one day at a time. You sure. hear you see on bumper stickers, you hear people say that, but when you're in righteous withdrawal from alcohol or heroin or benzodiazepines, even weed, man, like. Drugs are addictive. And when you're in that withdrawal and you don't use, you have to tell yourself something like, let me just make it through the end of the day. Let me just not use today. Maybe I'll use tomorrow. But let me just not use today. And that's mm. that first day, man, I did that. And the next morning I wake up in holy terror because I know the sickness is coming. And it's going to be hard. Yeah. Shadow's coming, yeah. And I, uh, I remembered what I did the day before, man. And so 
I called my sponsor like he told me to. He said, call me every morning. I called him. And I was like, hey, man, I went home last night. I didn't use. I don't know what the fuck to do. He said, go to a meeting today. He said, all right, I'll go to a meeting today. And I went to a meeting. And at that meeting, they asked me to stack chairs. Man, I stacked chairs. And I talked to some friends. And I got two days clean. I was sick. I was uncomfortable. I was in pain. I was in fear. But I had two days clean, man. And I didn't know what two days clean was like. Right. Mm. So the hope grew in me, man. The hope. And, and I copied day after day with that hope that if I just keep not using and keep going to meetings and keep calling my sponsor and keep finding a way to be uh, uh, worthwhile around here of service in some way or another, if I just keep doing that, eventually the, the pain will go away. Eventually I will be able to sleep normally again. Eventually, I will not obsess about using heroin first thing in the morning every day when I wake up and open my eyes. Wow. I mean, going back to your youth, you've always been the desire to fight what you may or may not be has always been there. I want to kind of jump ahead and then we can jump back as need be. Uh, As I got my gardeners in the background here, apologize, everyone. Um, This four point plan, you 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 have always been there to help then since I've known you. This has always been something on your heart on your, your resume is something you, you do. And it just got even more serious and more robust over the last couple of years. Um, let's talk about this four point plan and what it is. Well, I want to tell you why the four point plan. So I finally get clean and I'm the guy that went to meetings for seven years without being able to get clean. So when right. I finally get it and I get six months, a year, two years clean, people start asking me this question. What was it this time that finally worked? Mm, okay. I didn't know, man. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, gotcha. And, and I had on. to really think hard about this. I had to figure it out. And so I, I, I went back to school. I had four years clean. And I started working in treatment right away. And every year that goes by, like you get new certificates or whatever in school. And, and, uh, and I start telling everybody, hey, there's these, these four things that you, you should do. And then I realized that that's it. I did these four things, and that's what's different this time. This wow. time I didn't try to do it on my own. This time I didn't try to think I was really smart and I could handle this and I could figure it out. This mm-hmm. time I did what was suggested. And what was suggested yeah. was to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. They said, the first thing you do, when you first get clean, the first thing you should do is attend a meeting every day for three months. And I was, I'll do it. Like, I was was sick. I was working in Los Angeles. It was hot out. Uh, I would work as a motorcycle messenger, so I was exhausted and dirty and sweaty every day. But I would make sure that by 7 o'clock, I was back in my neighborhood in a meeting every single day. It was super important to me. So I was in a meeting every day, and they said, get a sponsor. That's number two of the four-point plan, get a sponsor. And, uh, well, I got Bob, man, the dude that mm-hmm. told me they prayed for me, the dude that told me he almost killed his mom over a spoon of heroin. That was going to be my guy, and it was my guy. And, man, that guy fucking loves me. Mm-hmm. And I call him. Eh, well, back then, for sure, I called him every single day. I would never miss a day. I would call him multiple times a day, and he always made time to help me out. And he taught me so many important things, man, that saved my life. And, you know, every year he gives me a birthday cake and every year I cry my eyes out about how much I love my sponsor. 
because this dude really, he gave, all he gave to me was time. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny because I thought, sponsor, you know, I'm homeless. This guy's rich. He's going to give me some money and right. we're going to be good. That's not what sponsors give you, man. They give you their time and their attention and and their experience. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's all he gave me, man. And I could never ever pay back what what he gave me man he gave me a life he gave my daughter a father he gave my mother a son you know he he saved so then uh let me jump to the other point steps uh the third point of the four point plan is to get a home group this is a meeting that you find like an aa meeting an na meeting a ca meeting they got meetings for everything really but you Mm -hmm. find a meeting that you really feel comfortable at and that you like the people there and that you're going to go to that meeting and you're not going to miss it, right? So my home group was always Saturday morning at 10 o'clock at Woodland Hills. I was there every Saturday morning, and uh, the people there got to know me. They got to love me. They got to see my daughter come and give me a cake at that meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to see me grow. I had secretary at that meeting. Uh, I'll explain that in a second. But this was a place where the people in that meeting became like family members to me. And I have at least a dozen of their phone numbers in my phone. I still see them and talk to them regularly. Uh, it was a beautiful place to have a home group. It was called Sharing from the Heart. Uh, but originally, before before my time, it was called Sharing on the Bones of Others, which is a pretty creepy name for an NA meeting, but I love it. Yeah. So Sharing from the Heart was always my home group. And then uh, yeah. fourth point is to get a commitment. And people take this wrong. I guess that word commitment uh, – has multiple meanings, but what we talk about is a service commitment, uh, a way to give back to the program, like the person who makes the coffee. Making the coffee mm-hmm. is a commitment. So that's right. like the last point of the four-point plan. So you got the four-point plan. Mm-hmm. In 90, get a sponsor, get a home group, get a commitment. And that was what I did different this time that mm-hmm. allowed me to get 12 years clean and sober. This is great, Jared, and and I I am a big believer in, in keeping things simple. Which also uh, my my first big question here is: simple does not always mean easy in this situation. Just hearing your journey and how you got to this point. Um, to those who are starting out on this path and they go to ninety, or their goal is ninety and ninety, but on day forty two they miss one, Jr. And then you wake up the next day and you feel down about that, and you feel worse for that. Uh, what do you, what do you say to those, those, those folks in this journey who, who maybe take a misstep? How do you build from those missteps and keep on, uh, this plan and these goals? Well, if all we did was miss a meeting, that's easily cured. Just go to two meetings today. Gotcha. I did 90 and 90 last year just to prove to my patients at the treatment center that it could still be done by someone who has a job, who goes to school, who is Mm -hmm. family. It can still be done. So one day, uh, I flew to Hawaii. By the way, when I was shooting heroin, I never flew to Hawaii. But for the last six years, I've flown to Hawaii every year. And one day last year, I flew to Hawaii. And I, by the time I got up, got to the airport, got to Hawaii, um, it was too late to hit a meeting. So I was down one on my 90 to 90. So when I got back, I went to two meetings the next day. It was pretty easy, pretty simple. Now, when we talk about making some mistakes and making some missteps, if the person actually were to drink or use drugs, mm-hmm. then what we recommend, what I recommend is you start that 90 and 90 over a day one. Boom. Gotcha. Because 
drinking and using is the only thing that takes you back out. Gotcha. You know, you get a clean date, man. You get a clean date. You own that clean date. You love that clean date because that is the one thing in my life where I had no money and no home and everything. The one thing I had was a clean date and nobody could take that away from me. That was maybe the first thing I ever had that was mine that I truly owned and I was going to fight fiercely to defend it. Even mm -hmm. if it meant not sleeping, even if it meant being sick to my stomach for 18 months, whatever it meant to get clean and stay clean, I knew that I had the power to not pick up. And that while I was using, I never understood that. But once I had a few days clean, even though I was sick, I knew that no one was going to pick up my phone and call my drug dealer for me and make me go relapse. Relapse was always going to be my decision. And once I figured that out, and by the way, that was a hard thing to figure out. Once I figured out that it was my decision, whether or not I used drugs, then I was given a fighting chance. That's, that's great. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I love hearing that. Um, and, and going through these other things here, I, I get the, you know, again, from the outside, I'm someone who's on the outside, which is why, valuable to me to just to kind of hear your story here and hear your, your journey, but to get it, I understand the concept of a sponsor, but what does it mean when you find that tether? How, you, you described it really well with Bob, an angel down on earth here for you. Um, what does that, what does that, what does that mean to have that tether to, 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 to that person, to that hope? Uh, do you feel that along the way? How does it continue? Why is it so important to, to an outsider like me? Well, it's great because this is what I study so much in school. The psychology of this thing is the best chance that you have to fight against addiction is connection to other people. And having a sponsor, someone who tells you – so with my sponsor, Bob, it was so weird. I, I would call him every day when I was brand new, and I hadn't slept very well, and I had been sick, and I couldn't eat right, and everything physically felt horrific. And I'd get on the phone with him. We'd talk a little bit about the program. And then at the end of the call, he would he would end it with, "All right, man, I love you." Mm. And I was like, "What? What did this man just say to me?" Like, I was uncomfortable. I I didn't really grow up real close to the father or a father figure, so I was really super uncomfortable with the man mm. telling me that he loved me. I'd be like, "Oh, you, you too," and then hang up the phone real quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs> so building our relationship over time and having this man just repeatedly every day tell me he loved me was building that connection mm. that was like what you determined you used a tether mm. was building that tether that that thing that that bound us together uh that i would need you know this thing hasn't always been easy and there were some days i wanted to get loaded and the first person i call was my sponsor man i called bob and bob is there for me and he knows the right answers to, to all these questions. Hmm. It's, it's good to have someone that you know loves you. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I, I, I have certainly battled depression over the years uh, to, to a lower degree than what you were dealing with here, to be clear. But I, I have always just the simple step of, of making sure with depression, specific depression, but I think some tr probably translates here of just getting outside of yourself. So that's a connection. But that also, to me, was always about this idea of committing or committing to something else. Uh, my mom used to say, just go volunteer to dog shelter and you won't think about your depression today. Cause you're going to, for a moment, for even a moment, you might be out of yourself. 
is how much of that is into this get a commitment idea? I'm really fascinated by that one. All these other steps are equally as important, but that one makes a lot of sense to me. Explain that one a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. You, you get to uh, be useful to somebody else. And um, I loved that story that you're telling about uh, your mom was able to see that a way to get out of depression was to, to go and be of service somewhere. Um, for sure, when you're an addict, for me, for a long time, there was a thing in my brain that said, you've got to use one more. You got to keep using. You got to use another one. You got. You just need to get one more. And this was while I was clean and sober. This was during my stretch of not using. My brain would still send me these signals saying, "You got to use one more." And mm. the thing that kept me from using was, well, if I go and smoke a little weed today, and then I have to be at the meeting at seven o'clock, and I have to make the coffee, I'm probably gonna fuck the coffee up, mm. and people are gonna know I'm high. Once they see me, they're going to know it. And so then what if I just skip going? Well, that's not an option either because one of the worst things you can do at an AA meeting is not show up and make the coffee. You want a room full of alcoholics who don't have their coffee? They're going to be pissed off. <laughs> so it's an accountability factor as, as much mm -hmm. as it's therapeutic to know that you're helping something, helping someone, providing for someone. A friend of mine told me early on, do not be a loiterer around the rooms. If you're grateful for NA, for saving your life, then don't you dare go there and be a bystander. You show up and you participate in your recovery and you give back to the program that saved your life and you do what you can to be useful. And so uh, I did, man. I would go up to people, uh, the secretaries of the meeting is usually the mm -hmm. person who runs the meeting, and I would say, hey, what kind of service commitments do you have? What can I do to be useful around here? And when you do, they're like silly things, like uh, stand at the door and tell everybody hello as they walk in. Or at the end of the meeting, grab a trash can and throw everybody's coffee cups away. They're, they're little commitments that grow into bigger commitments, and they're, they're super important to make you feel useful. And there's another piece of this that I, I have a hard time teaching to people, but I love trying to. Yeah. And that is, you know, a lot of us, when we're out there using drugs, we're not the most employable people you've ever met. Right, right. We're and smelly, and we're not good at time management. Yeah. Uh, so having these commitments, having multiple commitments, will teach you to be accountable and responsible. Mm. And the idea that I had to show up at a meeting a half hour early or an hour early to make sure the coffee was made or to make sure the chairs were set up or mm. whatever it was that I had to do prepared me for you know being a, a valued employee today because mm. there's always someone you work with that shows up at the last minute every day and that's <laughs> never going to be me it's probably never going to be the people that you know from the program because they taught us our sponsors taught us our home groups taught us you show up early to be a valued member of this uh, that, that, that's powerful and I, there's something you said in in, in that uh, that bit there that that struck out stuck out to me the uh, participating in your own recovery. Uh, and, and we as humans, even if you're not battling something that's strong, can occasionally have a tendency to just sit back and watch or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do it again tomorrow. And, and, and for, for f folks like you, JR, you know, I'll, I'll try it again tomorrow could, could be a matter of life and death. And, and, and the, the idea of participating in your recovery, um, just jumps out to me as being something really important. And that's what I'm kind of hearing with some of the stuff you're talking about here. Dude, I'm so fortunate for my recovery. For my recovery is the number one thing in my life, and it's 
it's counterintuitive because I've got a family. I've got a daughter who is 28 and, and smart and, and funny and beautiful. And she has a child of her own. So I'm a grandfather to a little kid named uh, Gene Van Wilder. Love that kid. Um, <laughs> those instinctively and my intuition is my daughter and my grandson and my wife, these have to be my number one priority or my job. It's so important that I make money so that I don't end up homeless. So that's got to be my number one priority. Mm-hmm. But my sponsor taught me early on, man, and my sponsor's got one of these cars. It's really impressive. He's got a, a Ford GT 50. Right. Uh, it looks like a Lamborghini. Right. And, uh, and sitting inside of that car, it looks like you're in a spaceship. And I remember being brand new in the program and sitting in that spaceship car and him telling me, you have to make recovery your number one priority. Mm. And it's like, well, no, man. I, I've been a terrible father for my daughter's entire life. She was 15 at that point. I said, I want to be a father. He's like, yeah, I get that. I've got two kids. I've got a wife. I've got a million-dollar business. You know, I understand these other things that are important. But if I don't make recovery my number one priority, I'm a terrible business owner, a terrible boss, a terrible husband, a terrible father. Mm. has got to be number one and i didn't want to believe him but i didn't have a choice man this man was saving my life he was teaching me the right thing every single day so i trusted him and i and i made recovery number one and that's how i did the four-point plan man I, i just did everything that they told me and it changed everything who would have ever thought man that some homeless dirty and Infected person with MRSA whose arms were going to be chopped off was like mm. laying in the gutter. And I used to sit behind dumpsters and alleys downtown and, and stick needles in my arms and, and, and get blood everywhere. Who would have ever thought that that person, man, would recover, would mm. stop using drugs and find a life beyond their wildest dreams? Like, I never thought any of this was possible. And what happened was, man, I went from that guy. To this guy, this guy is going to have a master's degree in one year from a prestigious university like Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I graduated with a bachelor's degree at what, 48, 49 years old? Like, these are, are fairy tale endings, bro, that I was not expecting at all. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you got to be a part of some really good ones, man. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted, obviously, I wanted to be a father of my daughter. I wanted to get clean. I wanted to be in my daughter's life. And, and I spent yesterday with her, and my daughter is an angel and the apple of my eye and my best friend. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool, man. I got that dream to come true. The dream I never thought would come true, again, though, was the pro wrestling dream. Right. I, was, I was a pro wrestler for about three years before I started shooting heroin. And, uh, mm-hmm. and when I got clean, I thought I'll never get that chance again. And mm-hmm. sure enough, man, thanks to our friend who, who had his own wrestling company, the doors were open once I got a year clean to come back in, man, and to start doing my dream thing again. And yeah. like, I went from being the homeless guy in the gutter shooting heroin to the nine-time heavyweight champion of the world. Now, yeah. who could believe that, huh? You saw me right when I was about to win my first one, man. Would you have ever dreamed, you know, that that guy would be this guy? Uh, no, well, no, but I do remember because. You know, uh, that, uh, mutual best friend, uh, there, that, you know, I, I, uh, heard you were coming in and I remember uh, being at his house, we were shooting the promos and you came rolling in on this motorcycle. Uh, 
your arms where you had uh, the damage you described are, are now uh, covered with these uh, beautiful flame tattoos. And you come with a leather jacket, the motorcycle, and you cut this promo on him. We were selling the story. And I, I just remember thinking to myself and saying to some people in the room, I go, yeah, this is, uh, this is our champ. We got a great story to tell here. Uh, but uh, not knowing everything that you had gone through to get to that point. Uh, and later filling in some of the details are filled in for me, but yeah, to be there and, and to experience that with you and through your eyes was, was pretty powerful. And, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about that. JR is uh, the, the ongoing battle uh, and, and recovery. It's still got to be number one in your life today, right? Am I, am I reading that correctly for you that this is, this is an ongoing, no finish line journey. Oh, absolutely. If, if I slow down for a minute, if I, do not keep my guard up at all times. Uh, in other words, if I don't keep a relationship with my sponsor, with my higher power, and attend meetings on a regular basis, I am in a great deal of danger of going back to that person that I don't want to be anymore. Right. You know, the best way to describe someone in their addiction, at least that I've heard, and I, I love this, is I got sick and tired of hurting the people that love me the most. Mm. Who would ever consciously make that decision to be that person that hurts the people that love them? Mm. I never want to go back to being that guy. So I can't let my guard down. I still attend three or four meetings a week. If I'm not in school, mm. uh, if I'm not too busy. Um, I will attend seven meetings a week because that's where I'm comfortable. That's my sweet spot right now. Uh, and I think it will be for the rest of my life. Like mm. I believe being in a meeting every day makes me the person that I am today and it makes me not the person that I don't want to be again. Mm. And how, yeah, how, and I'm sure you've gone on to be a sponsor for others. Is, is, how valuable is that for um, recovery or maybe the later stages of the battle and the recovery? Uh, being a sponsor is a whole different thing, man. It's, it's kind of like food or sex. It's hard to describe unless you've done it yourself. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, had, I've had one of those things. <laughs> I've still got a, I still got relationships with sponsees, um, mm -hmm. but as a drug and alcohol counselor and a soon-to-be uh, mental health therapist, mm -hmm. uh, it's best for me not to get too actively involved with that because I've had experiences where former sponsees came to me and asked me to get them into rehabs that I work with, and yeah. so uh, that makes it dual relationships. It gets a little complicated, so. Where I'm at on my journey of being a, uh, a therapist and a drug counselor, it's best that I don't sponsor people so much anymore as find other ways to be of service. That's it. No, it makes perfect sense, man. It makes perfect sense. As we start to wrap up here, though, I want to talk about now, present day, your journey, your where it's going, this fourpointplan.com. Uh, anyone can visit. And you've got your podcast on there, too, the Four Point Plan podcast. Uh, as I'm uh, time this recording, looks like you got 10 episodes up. And I was uh, poking through a lot of the episodes today, uh, just kind of gathering the picture. And it's it's really informal and casual and important work you're putting out there. What the, what does the, what does the future look for you right now, man? Where, where, where do you want to take this uh, from that guy behind the dumpster who moved to California to be, be famous at something. Now you are where you are today. Yeah, not so much famous. Well, I mean, I've seen the t-shirts you are, but also important uh, and, and carrying on an, an important cause here. What, what's the future look like for you? Where, where do you want it to be? Well, uh, education is still big on my plate. Like I said, school starts again tomorrow, so I'm going to keep doing that. I will uh, eventually be a licensed therapist. 
I haven't decided yet. Am I moving into private practice? Am I going to stay where I am? Will I go off and do something on my own? In a perfect dream world, I would have a place in Hawaii and, and do something there. But in reality, the four-point plan itself, it's just going to go on, man. I'm going to keep doing the podcast. We just did a, a YouTube version of the podcast for the first time. Episode 10 was the first one that's up on YouTube. So that's fun and exciting. You get to see me and a couple of guys that I walked through the four-point plan who are now living a life beyond their wildest dreams. So it's so much fun to see them do this, man. Right. So um, keep following. Please mm. keep following. And uh, I might keep doing the four-point plan, but here's like an important piece of this. Mm. I just do it to help people. Like yeah. I can't – I don't think legally I'm allowed to accept any – any uh, monetary compensation for this. Mm -hmm. And I don't really need to, like I have a job so I can pay my bills. I just want to do this and have something that I put into the universe, help somebody stop using drugs. And like I said, I've got two guys there that I've worked with who uh, one of them has 18 months clean and one of them has four years clean. And so I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. And I love Helping people do this, helping people get mm. sober, watching someone get the lights on in their eyes for the first time, or watching somebody uh, rent an apartment for the first time in their own name, or mm. or or buy a car. All these things that were just uh, out of reach dreams for me when I was a homeless gutter punk, right? Mm -hmm. uh, watching, like having experienced it myself, that was great. But watching it happen for someone else is so fulfilling, man. Right. It's so uh, – I, I don't even have the right words for how mm. good it makes you feel to help somebody get their life back. Uh, I don't think you, you need to describe words. Just uh, the feeling can emanate from uh, all the words you're talking about there. Uh, that, that's what it is. So this is great stuff, man. And love to have you back on some other time just to talk the fun stuff, wrestling and being in the ring and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, did I manage you to your first title in MPW? Were you, on, were you in my faction then? Yes, the Territory Kings. There's a beautiful photo of me, you, and the boys uh, with my first belt in California around my waist. It was pretty right. awesome. So you're thank first. you, boss. Hey, no, hey, you know, it's all you. Uh, you got the uh, the story to tell and it works. So we'll we'll come back and talk about that fun stuff here. But this is actually, this, you know what, this is equally as fun. It's dark and real and raw, but to, to know where you are now, JR, but know where other people are as well and where other people can get to. Um, you know what? I think I think there's some joy to be found in that, uh, in in the darkness and in the struggle. And I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I think it's tremendously just uh, valuable and important and uh, just so happy for where you are and where you are now, where you will continue to go, my friend. And I, and I, I'm looking at your website and there's a picture of you in Hawaii and I know you'll love it there. And maybe one day you'll be, uh, be out there living even more of a dream, but I love where you are right now. Hey, thank you, man. What a huge privilege and honor it was to be on the, uh, the knapsack files. Um, huge fan of you because we are friends and, uh, yeah, tell tell people about it, man. If you know someone out there that needs help getting clean and sober, you know, check out the four point plan. F O U R P O I N T P L A N dot com. Spell it out. Fourpointplan.com. If you go there, you will learn about ninety ninety, get a sponsor, get a home group, get a commitment. And if you do that, you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. Thanks again, buddy. Thank you, JR. Thank you, JR. The Knapsack Files will roll on. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey y'all, what's going on? This is Kojak. I create music that can be found both on YouTube and SoundCloud, and now I'm a recent streamer on Twitch. So if you're looking for some chill instrumentals, check me out on YouTube and SoundCloud under KOJQ. And for some laughs, you can check my Twitch page under KO underscore JQ. Everyone, please be safe and thank you. Hey, it's Alden Diaz here to tell you about Octo Radio. It's an interview show that I do exploring the different passionate Star Wars perspectives from artists, writers, crafters, and even other podcasters, plus even some people straight from Lucasfilm. So you can come hang out on my podcast island and celebrate the Star Wars ties that bind us together. Oh yeah, what the pork said. You can follow us everywhere on social at A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. That's Octo Radio. And follow me at A-D underscore Strider. Here on the Dime Cross, just closing things out. I want to thank JR again. I almost called him Hellkid. I actually was pretty good that whole interview, not calling him Hellkid. I just, you know, you just around someone in the wrestling world for so long, their their gimmick name becomes their name. That's why a lot of people in that world will still say, "Hey, Tex," when I walk into a room. It's just the way it goes. JR though has a fascinating story, and I'm again really honored that he came here to share it, share it with the Nemsuck Files listeners. If you out there listening uh, feel that anything in today's episode uh, was of importance to you, of relevance to you, and you want to know more, uh, again, I want to highlight and go to fourpointplan.com. That's four, like like the number spelled out, fourpointplan.com, and learn more about the four-point plan designed to battle drug addiction. If you want more you can reach out to me directly. Uh, you uh, can uh, follow Jr. on Twitter at Jr. The Hell Kid, uh, his wrestling uh, Twitter handle. Uh, but it just on the off chance anyone wants to know more, reach out. Reach out to me. You can always go to my website and contact me through there. I just don't want anyone if they're listening to this and they feel that there's something of value for them, for their lives, their journeys, or maybe someone in their lives. I want you to know that you can reach out if uh, just going to this site and listening to the podcast isn't enough. That is there for you. You know, I love having fun here in the Napsack Files. We've been joking around Saturday night Napsack, which is just a bunch of silliness. But I, I, I still think it's important to occasionally just kind of deal with all these real things. And I am all about the, the, the battle of the, of the spirit, the, the journey of the mind and the heart. Um, that's stuff that's close to me. And it's these kind of things, the real down-on-the-ground level battles we all have going on. And maybe someone in your life has a story like this, a story similar to JR's going on. And maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe you're only partially aware of it. Uh, JR was someone who I've worked with in the wrestling world, and that's a high intense world sometimes in locker room politics. And it can be very easy to not know someone's whole story, to not know what brought them there, to not know some of the things they're uh, going through. 
uh, what, what they're about. Um, and uh, JR and I, over, over the years, have gotten to know each other well and sometimes not well enough. And I'm just blown away by where he was and, and where he is now. He, he is an interesting cat, uh, a great guy with a big, giant heart. I'm very glad it's here. So, again, I don't want to keep belaboring it, just thanking him <laughs> for sharing it. I'm just really blown away by uh, the honesty and all the things he's talking about here. So let's handle some business. Um, I do want to thank anyone who watched the uh, comedy show this past weekend. If you're listening uh, to this show right now, if you're listening a little bit later, we had a great show at the Viper Room. Mark Ellis and Friends, a lot of fun. We'll probably talk more about that some other time. But uh, thank you for all that uh, supported that. And there could be more shows like that coming soon, so I want you to stay tuned to the show here. Or go to KenNapsock.com. Click on it. I got a new picture for the shows and events page. I really love that Grace took a photo of the Viper Room. It looks great. I'm so happy about it. Uh, you can go there, check it out, and we'll update you uh, when we got something going on. You can check out all the shows I do. Uh, go to tpublic.com slash user slash catnapsock. If you want to buy some T-shirts or some merch or a mask, one of Napsock Files, mask, buy that. And then uh, you can also uh, support on Patreon at patreon.com slash catnapsock. Uh, a lot of things uh, I do there, a lot of things I try to do there for all my Patreon supporters. But one of my favorites is KZOC Radio, which is a monthly private uh, Spotify playlist that I share with all of you as if it was a radio show, which is a lot of fun. And speaking of radio, if you want to listen to me, you can listen to me every Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 noon on WLDJ Hall of Fame Music Radio, currently on 107.5 FM in the Newcastle area, but you can also just go to their website at hofmradio.com. Listen anywhere you want. You'll find links to uh, where we're going. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to say some of the frequencies and stuff because we might be changing and actually expanding. It's a lot of fun to play some uh, great rock and roll classics and even into the 90s classics. Uh, I do it every Saturday, and it's a lot of fun. I check out my friend Tim Powers. He does it on Sundays as well. As always, I want to thank my executive producer supporters on Patreon.com slash CatNapsock. That's Thomas Risling, Lethal Logan X. Hey, that sounds like a wrestler's name. Matthew Thompson, Nathan Ovendale. He's a first-rate Nate. Oh, buddy, Tasha Ellenberger, Chad Benefield, Tommy Terry Green, Jonas Berger, and Old Handsaw, Zach Taylor, and Ranger Donald. Thank you so much for your support, and thank you to everyone who supports me. And as always, just tell a friend about the Knapsack Files. That is important as well. We'll see you next time here on the Knapsack Files.